0: Hey guys, Bridget here. Before we start this week's episode of Proof, I've got a favor to ask. We've posted a link to a survey in the show description, and we want to know what you think. It only takes a few minutes, and it really helps us to make the show better. Now, on to Proof. Chili cook-offs have been a part of Kathleen Tolbert Ryan's life forever. Her dad, Frank Tolbert, founded what many consider to be the world series of chili Cookoffs. Now, growing up, Kathleen was kind of like the princess of the chili kingdom, and now she's the queen, running the event that her father started, which happens every year on the first weekend in November in a tiny town in the middle of the Texas desert called Terlingua. Terlingua is a desolate place, an abandoned mining town, But this one November weekend, it comes alive, with RVs and tents set up everywhere, live bands, and the smell of cumin and chili powder in the air. Kathleen runs the competition now, and she's attended and judged close to 100 events like this in her lifetime. But the cook-off that took place on November 1st, 2003, still stands out in her memory.
1: It was a very emotional day. It was very disturbing.
0: Now, this particular chili cook-off is a big deal. Only the most talented chili heads are invited. But that year, 2003, the man who turned in the winning cup was a mystery to many. We crowned this person
1: named Don Estep. He was from Springfield, Illinois. No one
0: knew him. With mischievous blue eyes and an easy grin, 64-year-old Don Estep was a newcomer in this world. He strode up to the stage to collect his prize. He left the stage quickly, not sticking around for the customary photos and hugs. But the day was far from over. Another chili cook, a world champion named Kathy Plager, ran up to the foot of the stage, motioning for Kathleen.
1: Shows up at the bottom of the stairs on the stage in tears, crying and saying that he didn't win. And she started explaining everything that he had done.
0: She said Don Eastep was a cheater. Today on Proof, how Don Eastep upended the wild world of chili cook-offs and left a chili-scented stain on the family name forever.
2: The chili guys are calling him the chili Nazi. There was a poster, and they had his picture on there, Wanted dead or alive.
3: I felt like, you know, we were all, like, snookered by this guy.
4: I know there was going to be a lot of retaliation. What he'd done was not acceptable, not approved, but he's still my brother.
0: From America's Test Kitchen, I'm Bridget Lancaster, and this is Proof. Thanks to this season's presenting sponsor, Kohler. They design innovative sinks and faucets for people who do their best work in the kitchen.
5: Reporter Maya Croth brings us this story. For the three Estep brothers, chili is a big deal. They grew up in Springfield, Illinois, which is kind of a chili mecca. The city was once home to four chili canning factories. In the 90s, the Illinois state legislature officially declared Springfield the chili capital of the civilized world. And that was all thanks to the eldest Estep brother, Les.
4: I'm Les Estep. I've been cooking chili in competition since 1976. And over the years, I've probably cooked in roughly 200 competitions in at least 20 different states.
5: Tall and lanky with a bushy salt and pepper mustache to match his neatly combed gray hair, Les is what's known in the chili world as a grandmaster. That means he's competed in at least 11 world championships. He uses two or three serrano peppers sliced down the side to give his chili the perfect amount of heat. Les still lives in Springfield in a house packed with chili memorabilia. There's a wall full of plaques from chili contests he's won all around the country.
4: There's one for Arkansas over there, Michigan, Ohio, Louisiana, Missouri.
5: Another wall is stacked high with chili trophies. He's got a chili-themed poem taped to his desk, even though he can recite it from memory.
4: She was smoking from her nostrils, she was steaming from her ears. But she cooled off an hour later, showing perfect self control. Said, My, what tasty chili. Give me another bowl.
5: In his home, he has albums of photos from chili cook offs, a hand woven chili tapestry, and a poster of chili peppers doing the can can. He even used to have a vanity license plate that read, Chili 1. When you get Les started on chili, the man can talk.
4: In October, they'd be pushing three or four thousand head of cattle across Texas to the nearest railhead, which was in Kansas at the time, and talk. And the beans thing didn't come in until early 1900s, and talk. A Germination on peppers is roughly 100 to 120 days.
5: Les is the oldest of three step brothers. The youngest, Larry, lives 1,600 miles away in Surprise, Arizona.
2: I was the baby. I was the kid in the family. If you listen to Les, I still am.
5: Shorter than Les, and with a less robust hairline, Larry's also a chili grandmaster, with 11 competitions under his belt. He showed me some family photos of him and his brothers.
2: (laughs) That's me. So I'm probably, what, five? I was quite the fashion plate.
5: And then there's Don, the middle brother.
2: That is Donald, so he would have been 12 or 13 or something like that.
5: He died a few years ago, but his personality was larger than life.
2: Oh, Donald was—he was the character. He was the entertainer of the family. So he was just a fun-loving guy. He you know, he didn't have as many filters as some other people.
5: Big Brother Les says he and Don couldn't have been more different— Don was the kind of guy who could walk into a room where he didn't know anybody and be acquainted with half the people within half an hour.
4: Don was a social person, very uh, extroverted. I I was more or less uh, quiet, uh, spent more time with books. He spent more time with the crowd. The difference between Don and I is probably almost day and night growing up.
5: Don was always getting up to something. When Larry was a kid, he remembers turning on the TV one time, and there was Don, dancing on American Bandstand. Bandstand. Larry says his brother Don was just a real outgoing, fun-loving guy. Don got into chili later than his brothers, but eventually it became something they all enjoyed doing together, driving all over the country to compete.
4: Don and I, and Larry, all cooked in competition. And I'm thinking it was around 2010. We were all cooking. The world championship was in Charleston, West Virginia. And that was the only time three brothers competed against each other at the world championship.
5: Not without a little friendly rivalry, of course. When I asked Les, what differentiates your chili from Don's from Larry's?
4: Better.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, now I think would be a good time to give a little bit of background on the landscape of competitive chili cooking.
5: It's more convoluted than you may think.
0: Yeah, today there are actually three different organizations that crown chili champs every year. It all started in the late 1960s with Carroll Shelby. Yes, that Carroll Shelby, the race car driver turned automotive designer that was famous for designing the Shelby Mustang. So Shelby took some friends down to Terlingua, and that's a teeny tiny ghost town in West Texas, where he owned thousands of acres of land. He thought he could turn this desolate patch of desert into the next Palm Springs.
5: Yeah, and it turns out Shelby was a man of many talents. In addition to racing cars, he was also great at luring people out into the middle of nowhere to sell them real estate. He also apparently cooked a mean pot of chili— now, there's chili makers and chili fakers,
2: but when you've got a craving for down-home Texas chili, there's one premeditatedly outrageous chili. Carol Shelby's original Texas brand chili mix.
5: To promote Terlingua as a destination, Shelby and his pals, including Kathleen's dad, Frank Tolbert, staged a chili cook-off there in 1967. Kind of like a Southern alternative to the hippie lovin's. By the mid-1970s, it had become the destination for competitive chili cooking. An annual event that
4: veterans call a Woodstock for Adults. It's the World Championship Chili Cook-Off that attracts thousands.
0: Now, to some people, chili cooking is as serious as religion. And nothing can fuel a feud quite like an argument over what makes a good, quote, bowl of red. So... Over the years, arguments over publicity, ego, and chili purity caused the group to splinter.
5: They even took it to court. It sounds silly, but yes, they took it to a real court in front of a real judge who basically told them to go sit in separate corners. And today, there are three factions. So there's the International Chili Society, or ICS. There's the Chili Appreciation Society International, or CASI. And then there's the original Terlingua International Frank X. Tolbert Wick Fowler Memorial Championship Chili Cook-Off. That's the one that's run by the chili queen, Kathleen Tolbert. Chiliheads just call this competition Behind the Store because it takes place behind an old grocery store in Terlingua. Well, that makes sense.
0: (laughs) But here's the kicker. Cassie and Behind the Store both happen in Terlingua on the same weekend in November every year.
5: For three days, Terlingua's population swells from 58 people to more than 10,000 chili cooks and fans who camp out in tents or in RVs. The Cassie cook-off is a huge party that attracts big crowds, maybe 8,000 people. Imagine like a chili Coachella. There's security guards and wristbands and a party bus that shuttles chili heads between a few different pop-up bars. Uh, One of which has an infamous stripper pole, I believe infamous stripper pole. Yes. And then nine miles away, there's Behind the Store, the one Kathleen Tolbert runs. Behind the Store is smaller. It's more relaxed. There's maybe 100 chili cooks and around 2,000 attendees. Behind the Store appeals more to chili purists. And while you might think that everything's all good fun in the world of chili cook-offs, you'd be mistaken. Even to this day, there remain some pretty tense feelings between some members of the factions.
0: Since both the Cassie cook-off and Behind the Store are held on the same weekend, most cooks pick one or the other. Both events raise money for charity, which means that they are official nonprofits. The Behind the Store board is made up of a lot of old-time chili cooks who've known each other since Frank Tolbert's time. In Kathleen's words... It's more like a family reunion.
5: And like any family, there
0: are
1: characters. It's a fun time. One of the past chili champs
5: always wore an armadillo shell on his head. People come dressed like chili peppers or wearing chaps. One year, they couldn't even name a winner because some quote-unquote bandits made off with the ballot box.
6: Ladies and gentlemen, the ballot box has been stolen by Masked Desperado.
0: But for all the mayhem, the cooks at Terralingua take their chili seriously.
5: There are strict rules. The chili has to be cooked on site on the day of the event. It has to be prepared in the open from scratch. There can be no beans, rice, or pasta. You can use chili powder, but no pre-made chili spice mixes. The judges check every entry, not only for aroma and taste, but also appearance, dinging some entries for things you wouldn't even think of, like there shouldn't be any vegetables visible in your chili. They see a chunk of onion that's cut too big, you're out of there.
4: It's that thing that you take a taste and you want to come back and get another taste. Which one of these will I want to take home with me?
5: For some people, cooking it behind the store is a really big deal. Not just anyone can cook there. Only the best of the best get an invitation, which arrives in the form of a little blue postcard that's mailed out every September.
2: Yeah, I guess you could say it's kind of like, you know, uh, winning the World Series or, I don't know, the Olympics or something of that nature. You don't get there by accident. Everybody is the New York Yankees or or the Golden State Warriors.
5: Les got that coveted blue postcard invitation to Terlingua when he won his first big regional chili cook-off.
4: It's just like going, panning for gold out west. You keep trying because someday you're gonna win. You're gonna gonna get that little gold nugget. Well, someday uh, you're gonna be cooking out there and they're gonna call your number. You'll be the last number they call and you walk on the stage, weak-kneed or whatever, you get that trophy and the check and the congratulations. And next thing you know, you're a chili cook. You're recognized. Everybody's shaking your hand, congratulating you, and it feels good.
5: The qualifying system's a little complicated, but it can basically be boiled down to this. If you win a regional qualifying competition, you'll be invited to cook it behind the store.
0: So many cooks spend the year competing in regional competitions, all with the hopes of qualifying for the World Championship. It's a very involved hobby.
5: Right, but one involving good food, good people, and a good time. Which is why people like Don Estep loved it so much.
2: And Don just loved it down there, because them people down there, they talk talk your ear (laughs) off. You can't (laughs) hardly get away from them. And he just loved to talk to people. I say everybody liked him. Well, there was that afternoon they didn't like him.
0: Ah, yes, that one afternoon in November 2003, The one Kathleen Tolbert Ryan still remembers 17 years later. The one that would label Don Eastup a scoundrel and ostracize him from the -the behind-the-store cook-off forever. In
5: 2003, Les and Larry qualified to cook at Terlingua. Don did not. But then again, he wasn't really a serious chili cook back then. Les was planning to go, but Larry couldn't take the time off work.
2: Les and Don and I went to breakfast most Sundays. So we were all at breakfast and talking about it, and I asked Les when he was going to leave. And so I said, well, I have to work, so I can't go. Well, Don pipes up and says, oh, I'm not doing anything.
4: I think I'll go. <laughs> I asked Don if he want to come along. He just helped me on the road. It is nice to have another person keep you awake on these long drives. So that's a a two-and-a-half-day drive down there. And Don said, sure, why not?
5: It might seem like a big favor, but if I've learned anything about Don, I'd guess he was in it for the ride and excited about the party. So after driving almost 1,300 miles, Don and Les arrive in Terlingua. They check into the Big Bend Resort and Adventures Motel, and they go down to the registration table to get checked in. That's where they give you the official cup.
0: The official cup might look unassuming. It's styrofoam, about 20 ounces. But make no mistake, this cup is a very big deal. It's this cup that each world-class chili cook in Terralingua will fill with the best chili that they can make. They'll turn it into the judges in that cup, all with the hopes that this year they will finally be recognized as the best chili cook in all the land and walk away with the title.
4: And next thing you know, we get down there, we're registering for the cooks, and Don decided he would register in Larry's name. That way he would get one of the T-shirts that said Terlingua on
0: it. The coveted souvenir Terlingua cook-off T-shirt. Now, believe it or not, this is the crux of what started the entire fiasco of the 2003 Chile Championship cook-off. In order to get the T-shirt... You have to cook. And Don didn't come to cook. He didn't have equipment, ingredients, let alone a recipe.
5: And so he was presented with a problem. Right. He had this empty cup, but he needed to fill it with chili. So Don hatched a plan.
4: He was going to take the cup and fill it up with somebody else's chili and turn it in. That's when he got the shirt. And they gave him a cup. And the first thought was, Don, you can't do that. He said that he would turn it in and get the shirt, and that would be it.
5: Don thought, if I can get a little bit of chili from a bunch of different chili cooks, then maybe I'll have enough to fill my cup and secure the t-shirt. So the morning of the event, Les and Don wake up bright and early at the motel. They drive over to the site of the cook-off, and Les starts to set up his gear in an area that's called ICS Hill where a lot of the cooks from the International Chili Society have tents next to each other.
0: There's about 10 tents all linked together in an L shape. Now in each tent, cooks have set up their camp stoves and their folding tables. They spend the morning sauteing aromatics, browning meat, adding spices, tomatoes, broth, maybe a secret ingredient or two. They've got about four hours to have their chili simmered, seasoned to perfection, and then placed in front of the judges.
5: The whole ICS camp is put together by this couple, Bob and Kathy Plager. Now, the Plagers are a big deal in the chili world. They're both highly decorated. Bob's won five world championships, and Kathy has won first place and a bunch of second and third place trophies. They're also extremely competitive, especially Bob. They do not like to rehash the events of November 2003, even all these years later. It took some real convincing to get them to even talk to me.
6: We had, I think, five world champions cooking on our hill. Yeah. (laughs)
5: That day. That day. Yeah. Oh, by the way, Bob's secret ingredient? Browns. So everybody up on ICS Hill knows Les pretty well from other ICS cook-offs. And Les had cooked at Terlingua a few times already. But nobody really knows Don. At least not yet. But as the morning wears on, the cooks get a chance to socialize while their chilies are simmering, and Don makes the rounds too, chatting up all the other chili cooks on the hill.
4: As I said, Don can walk into a, a crowd of 50 people he'd never seen before, and he's well acquainted within an hour.
5: Judging time is approaching. The cooks stir in their second and third editions of spices. The chili cups are due in the judging area at high noon.
3: We're all cooking, it's almost time to turn in our chili. So everybody's really, you know, in front of their pots and they're doing their last-minute things.
0: Don looks around, and he realizes that this is his chance. So he takes his empty judging cup, and he starts going booth to booth, visiting the best of the best chili cooks in the world and saying, hey, can I try some of yours?
3: And, you know, people do that a lot, so... Yeah, some of their guys gave him a taste of their chilies. And when he walked up to me, he said, can I taste your chili? And I said, no, you can't taste my chili till. He said, why not? And I said, because I'm not done with it. I said, you know, after I turn it in, then you can taste it.
5: Meanwhile, Don's brother, Les Estep, refuses to contribute a spoonful to Don's cup. Remember, Les and Don are like day and night. Les, the rule follower, says he was not at all pleased with what his prankster brother was up to.
4: He didn't cook. He wasn't supposed to be turning in a cup. And there's a certain amount of respect in in the cooking world. And we're all like family. And Don was new in this, and he said, well, it won't do any harm. I'll just get my shirt and forget about it and never hear about it again. Until a couple hours later.
0: After the break... The judging. If there's one thing Kohler knows, it's innovative sink design. So that got me wondering do my colleagues at America's Test Kitchen know how to fill in the blank? Hello. (laughs) Hey, Chad, it's Bridget. Hey, I need you to finish the sentence for me, okay? Okay. Everything but the... Everything but the... Oh, man. Hmm. I don't know. Butter? The bread? Oh, kitchen. Kitchen Kitchen sink. sink. Everything
4: but the kitchen sink.
0: For everything including the kitchen sink, there's Kohler. Take Kohler's Artifacts Touchless Kitchen Faucet, for example. It has a precision sensor built right into the spout, so a simple wave of your hand turns the faucet on and off in 20 milliseconds. Speed through kitchen tasks and enjoy a cleaner and more hygienic kitchen. Learn more about the Artifacts Touchless Kitchen Faucet at Kohler.com.
1: Hey Proof listeners, it's Jack Bishop here to talk about Miyoko's new spreadable oat milk butter. It's a completely new product for Miyoko's and it's unlike any vegan butter on the market. They actually make oat milk and culture it and churn it just like the traditional butter making process. Our expert tasters tried it. And thought it was delicious. It was remarkably creamy. It wasn't greasy or oily like a lot of other vegan butters out there. And the flavor? It was buttery. Miyoko's oat milk butter has earned a place in my fridge. My college-age vegan daughter is happy and so are her parents. Comes in two flavors, hint of salt and garlic parmesan. Miyoko's new spreadable oat milk butter is good for the planet and good for you. Learn more at miyokos.com That's M-I-Y-O-K-O-S.com.
0: For 30 years, Oxo has been creating better kitchen tools, and food storage is no exception. Oxo's pop containers bring function and style into food storage. They store your ingredients reliably with an airtight seal. There's a fun pop button on the lid for easy opening and closing. They're dishwasher safe, stackable, and the super sleek design will leave your pantry looking better than ever. Just ask Category Director Lua O'Brien. Pantry organization is really satisfying.
5: It's like a project that you've accomplished. The aesthetics of it are really pleasing when you see all the different ingredients all stacked up beautifully in like a grid. Um, I love seeing that.
0: OXO Good Grips pop containers have improved with new sizes and accessories. Go check them out at OXO.com. That's oxo.com. Before the break, we were talking with reporter Maya Craw, all about how Don Estep broke the sacrosanct rules at the biggest event in competitive chili cooking by mixing a bunch of other cooks' chilies together in a cup and then turning it into the judges, all for the sake of a T-shirt.
5: So it's noon on November 1st, 2003. Around 100 chili cooks have turned in their cups to the judges. Those cups will go through multiple rounds of judging until only the very best are left. It's like any sport. If you do well in the quarterfinals, you advance to the semifinals, and if you're really good, you make it to the final round. In the chili world, this is called the final table.
0: It's a blind judging, and that means nobody knows whose chili is whose. And each round has a different set of judges. So the chilies that wind up on the final table are really good.
5: Each individual judge ranks the finalists on a scale of 1 to 10, and then those rankings are tallied up. Only the top 10 winners are announced from the stage. Each entry is identified by a ticket with a number on it taped to the bottom of the cup. The cooks have an identical ticket with the same number in their pocket. So when they're about to announce the winners in the late afternoon, everybody gathers inside this pavilion to find out if their number is going to be called. There's a bar in there, a little cafe, people set up chairs in front of the stage to watch. One of those people is Ted Hume, a dentist from Dallas who's also a chili cook, and he's hoping to win big.
7: I cooked my usual recipe, and I thought it was pretty good, and maybe had a chance, and turned it in, and now the waiting game starts.
5: After about four hours and multiple rounds of judging, Kathleen Tolbert is ready to announce the winners. She's up on stage, along with some other board members, and they take turns reading out the numbers, starting with 10th place and working their way towards first. They get to fifth place. Bob Plager comes up, accepts his plaque. At this point, there's still about a hundred hopeful chili cooks in the crowd, but only four winners left to be called. Ted Hume's hopes are waning by the minute.
7: And they called third, and it wasn't me, and they called second, and it was my number, and I was happy and excited, and I've gotten second a couple of times, and it's disappointing to get second because you're really close to winning.
5: Finally, they announced the number of the winning cup.
7: Then they
4: called out the winner with the most points. And all of a sudden, Don is saying there. And two or three seconds, it may be a minute, but I've got it. (laughs) Stunned everybody.
5: Les watches in disbelief as his brother, Don Estep, goes on stage and collects this giant cook stove and a 50-pound limestone plaque. Prizes, an entire nation of chili cooks work their whole lives to achieve. Prizes he won by turning in a cup full of everyone else's chili.
4: Literally, he's trying to carry all this stuff at one time. It. I had uh, one thought in mind, this is going to be big trouble.
0: <laughs> oh, God. Don Eastup grabs his winnings and starts to make a quick exit.
7: Usually the winner sticks around for photos and congratulations and hugs, and it goes on for 20 or 30 minutes. He kind of grabbed his trophy and very hastily got out of there.
5: And he might have gotten away with it if it weren't for Kathy Plager.
3: And so they get down to first place, and this Don guy goes on the stage. I'm looking at the person sitting next to me in front of I said, that guy didn't cook today, did he? And he's like, I don't think so. You have to make an instant decision because you got to stop this right now, you know? I mean, I was shaking, you know? I was so upset. And and I'm shaking now thinking about it.
5: (laughs) So she runs up to Kathleen Tolbert, the organizer.
1: Kathy Plager shows up at the bottom of the stairs on the stage and in tears, crying, and saying that he didn't win. And she started explaining everything that he had done.
3: He had disappeared. And she said, where did he go? And I said, he probably went back to our camp. So she said, okay, let's go. So she took me, and we start walking. And so Kathleen said, can we talk to you? And he said, okay. She said, I want to ask you a question. And he said, okay. And she said, did you
5: cook chili today? And he said, no, I did not. Kathleen's furious that someone would pull something like this at Behind the Store, the cook-off her dad, Frank Tolbert, started, where people were supposed to revere chili, not make fun of it.
1: I took off his chili champ, pinned it and then we took away all his his camp stove that we give away and we just I guess we just said you know you you cheated and you're a scoundrel and
5: Ted Hume the Dallas dentist who plays second is already on his way back to his camp when Kathy Plager runs up to him.
7: She comes up and grabs me and says hold on don't leave you might have won and a couple of minutes later, Paul and Kathleen come walking up to me, and Kathleen's in tears and upset, and she says, You won. I'm so, so sorry. You won. You won. And I thought, God, great. And I didn't really understand what had happened. And so I go back up to the stage, and by now the crowd is completely dispersed. So all the glory that goes with winning the cook-off was kind of lost because they're winning by there. there. It's kind of a bummer.
5: All the commotion died down, and people went back to their camps. The chili cooks of Behind the Store were upset. They were embarrassed by the charade. They felt like Don was mocking them.
1: I was anxious to get rid of him. So it was a very upsetting year.
3: It was like they didn't respect any of us. It was like they were making fun of us. That's how I felt. I felt like, you know, we were all, like, snookered by this guy. It was embarrassing to our group.
5: When word got out about Don's prank, Kathy says it made all the ICS cooks look bad, especially in front of their rivals in that other chili organization, Cassie.
3: Cassie, you know, they love when stuff like that happens to the other group. (laughs) It made us look bad to not only the Cassie cooks, like, oh, yeah, look, they've got a winner that didn't even cook, ha, 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 you know? You just don't know how it is, the war between the two chili groups down there. The Cassie cooks are always bad-mouthing, the -the behind-the-store cooks. I remember at some point, Les
6: was sitting in my golf cart, and I go, why, why did you not stop him? He says, I couldn't stop my brother.
5: And just like that, Les Eastep's reputation with the Terlingua crowd was ruined forever.
0: Rumor has it,
5: Don drank
0: a bit too much that night.
4: I did not speak to him the rest of the day.
0: The brothers went back to their motel and went to sleep. They left Terlingua the next morning at dawn.
4: And we didn't talk until we got up to Oklahoma. We didn't talk at all. I don't know what angry is the word for it. uh, Upset, fearful, and... Bob, uh, the one that was married to Kathy, made the comment uh, that watch his back. Watch his back. Uh, I don't know what he meant by it. I I got an idea that uh, someone might try to do physical damage. I know there was going to be a lot of retaliation, a lot of uh, comments. And what he'd done was not acceptable, not approved, but he's still my brother.
5: Little brother Larry, meanwhile, was back in Springfield. Out to dinner with his wife, when his cell phone rang, another chili cook calling from Terlingua.
2: I got a call. Do you know what your brother did? And I kind of started laughing. And this guy said, "Well, well, this is very serious, Larry." And I said, "Oh yeah, okay." <laughs> but I, I was laughing. I, <laughs> uh, he was not happy with Don. He didn't think it was very funny.
6: And I held it personally against the whole family, even Larry. I wouldn't talk to Larry for about five, six years. (laughs) I know he wasn't in on it, but I just felt like I didn't want anything to do with any (laughs) E-step. I was hurt that bad by it, you know? It went very, very deep.
5: You can hear Kathy giggling here, but I don't think she really finds it funny.
0: Don's story made all the papers. Bob and Kathleen and the rest of the behind the store board voted to ban Don and Les from ever coming back to the cook-off. In fact, legend is Don Estep was banned from the state of Texas. Well, maybe not technically banned. That's not exactly legal. But there was definitely an understanding that he was not welcome back.
4: Things settled down after a month or so. And we're back having breakfast every Sunday. But nobody talks about Terlingua. You can talk about anything except that. They talked it to death.
5: But Don Estep did go back to Terlingua a couple of years later for a head-to-head cook-off with Ted Hume, the rightful winner of 2003's competition, complete with a jokey pardon from then-Governor Rick Perry inviting Don to re-enter the state. Don Estep and Ted Hume both cooked their chilies, turned them in to be judged. They even staged a mock Old West trial for Don, overseen by this chili cook named Freddie Capers, who happens to be a judge in real life. Don Estep agreed to show up on stage. They called him the defrocked chili champ. As for Don's actual chili, Ted Hume remembers it well.
7: That was terrible.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Was it really? Yeah,
7: it was bad. It was real tomatoy and sweet, and uh, that's yuck. And he and I were laughing about it, and he said, he came up to me and put my, his arm around me. He said, if you don't win this, you need to give up cooking chili, because that stuff I cooked today is horrible.
5: <laughs> There's something funny about this whole charade. There was a lot of effort put in to bring Don back. They paid his way in everything, and they definitely enjoyed the publicity. You'd think they'd want to bury the hatchet, or at the very least, laugh a little. But not everyone in the chili cooking community was ready to let bygones be bygones.
6: And then Don's coming off the stage, and he reaches out to shake my hand, and I just turned around and walked the other way. I was very offended by it. I still am. (laughs) It bothers me to even talk about it. It really does
7: there are certain people in the chili world who are very serious and very competitive about it. There always will be. And then there's a whole lot more of us who go for the fun and the camaraderie and it was great to win. And, you know, afterwards, Don and I got to be good friends. Yeah. He he was made out to be the chili scoundrel and the chili bad guy. And he was just, you know, he did it just kind of on spur of the moment to be funny as a prank and it ended up stirring up a big mess, but he, he really was a, a good guy and a fun-loving, really a fun-loving guy and a funny guy.
5: To this day, Larry Eastep, youngest of the Eastep brothers and Grandmaster Chili Cook, has never cooked chili at Behind the Store.
2: Turlingua? No, never been there. And they quit inviting me, you know? They quit inviting less. And I've won several cook-offs in the meantime. They just don't like our family, I don't think.
5: Because of what Don did. <laughs>
2: well, yeah, well, what else? You can't be they're jealous because we're so good. That can't be it. I kind of joke about being blackballed, but but all I've heard is that if you win a cook off, they invite you. You know, because it's a tournament of champions or cook off of champions, so to speak. And I've won a lot of cook offs and they've never invited me back. You know, so
5: and Les, who had cooked it behind the store several times before 2003, hasn't gotten that little blue postcard invitation in the mail ever since.
4: I've won eight or ten or fifteen cook-offs since then. Normally, I win one, I get an invitation. I feel left out. I feel it's unfair. If they want to uh, do that, be petty about it. That's fine. They've got a legitimate uh, beef on there against on. He did something that violated their rules. And if they want to hold it against Larry, that's kind of petty, because Larry was not involved in any way. That'd be up to them. How do they feel about it?
5: Bob Plager says the decision's really up to Kathleen Tolbert, the event's organizer. And she sounds a little more forgiving.
1: I would say they're welcome. But they need to not go near the chili (laughs) pots. I would say stay away. (laughs) If it runs in the family.
2: <laughs> he was coming home from the
4: Oklahoma State cook-off, chili cook-off. He died October 2012. So uh, seven years, seven and a half years. He was at a chili cook-off in Oklahoma. He said that he lived in Harrison, Arkansas. And he called back to some friends that said he was going to stay, get a motel and stay over because he was tired. He didn't want to try to drive it.
2: If you've ever been in that area of the country, it's a gorgeous area of the country, but it's part of the Ozarkian topography, and it's lots of hills and curves and, and stuff. And, you know, it, when the light starts to go down, it's, it's, it's challenging driving.
4: And next thing you know, I'm getting a phone call about 9 o'clock that night. He'd been in a car crash was killed. And the unfortunate part about it was he did not have a seat belt on.
2: So apparently he just ran off the road, flipped the car. And, but that's how he died, was in a car accident. I'm
5: so sorry. Yeah,
2: very sad, very sad.
5: It was almost eight years ago that Donnie stepped left us for the big, chilly cook-off in the sky. But the story of his legendary caper lives on. When I went to watch Larry compete at a cook-off in Phoenix this spring, I ran into several people who knew all about it including this woman, Susie Baumberger, a lawyer from L.A.
8: It was funny because I happened to be telling one of the new chili cooks last night about this incident.
5: As she prepared her pot of red, a recipe carefully honed over decades, I asked her what she thinks Dawn's story tells us about the lengths chili cooks go to make a winning pot.
8: There's a theory in the chili society that there, no one cook cooks the best chili that they all, it takes a combination of all of them. And that theory was born out of leftover chili on the table. Sometimes they put them in big bags and they'd give them to charities. Or sometimes they'd save them for the next day for people's choice, heat them up, and found out they were really good chilies. Like, you know, everybody together was making really good chili. And, but there was always this theory, you know. And then... His brother goes to Turlingua, and lo and behold, he proved the theory true, and he actually won. And everyone's like, "Oh my God!" He didn't even cook. <laughs> we were near him; he wasn't cooking, and he didn't even bring a stove. How do you win without bringing a stove? So it was a very funny story, but it proves that no cook is the best cook. It takes all of them. They did prove that, that it takes it takes a village to make the best pot of chili. Mm.
2: In retrospect, it's a good way to have fun. It's a good way to have family fun and be able to party. A lot of people love chili. It's, I mean, there's a lot of awful lot of work to get to that point, you know, just to be able to cook. You know, before you turn the stove on, you've done a lot of work. But we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that it's supposed to be kind of a fun experience for everyone.
5: Larry doesn't hold a grudge against his brother, because for him, even though Terling was a big deal, it's still just a chili cook-off. Sure, it's important, but in the end, blood is thicker than chili.
0: Thanks to Maya Croth for reporting the story. If you want more info about this story, we've put all of that up on our website for you. That's www.americastestkitchen.com proof. Go check it out. And if you like Proof, then be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you'll get brand new episodes as soon as they drop. And while you're there, why not leave us a rating or write us a review? Because it really helps other people find the show. Proof is hosted and produced by me, Bridget Lancaster. Our executive producer is Caitlin Kelleher. Sarah Joyner is our managing producer, associate producer Caroline Record. Scoring, sound design, and mixing by Matt Poynton of Ultraviolet Audio. Brian Campbell of Signal Sounds composed our theme music. Additional music by Kyle Forrester and Jordan Pearson. Post-production supervisor is Hen Margolis. Our production manager is Diane Knox. Fact-checking by Kaya Williams. Jack Bishop is a spicy bowl of red and chief creative officer of America's Test Kitchen. David Nussbaum is our CEO. Thanks again to our sponsors Kohler, OXO, Miyoko's Creamery, and NakedWines.com. Proof is a production of America's Test Kitchen. Hey there. If you're listening to Proof, there's a pretty good chance that you may have a bit of a geeky streak in you. So we've got another nerdy show to recommend. Science Diction is a new podcast from Science Friday and WNYC Studios. In each short episode of Science Diction, host Joanna Mayer digs into the origin of a single word or phrase— And she shows just how much science is baked into our everyday speech and conversation. Did you know that the word meme has more to do with evolutionary biology than the internet? Or that the word cobalt has mischief baked into its name? Hmm. You can find Science Diction on Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts.